You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. The following is an encore presentation of Issues Etc. St. John's College with Psalm 23. Well, we hear them sung. They are turned into hymns. They are, in some ways, hymns of the Old Testament, but before they're hymns, they are prayers of the Old Testament. Do they belong either theologically or historically in the Old Testament? Why has the church built an entire way of worshiping around the Psalms of the Old Testament? And how should we understand those psalms in terms of their fulfillment in Jesus Christ? Greetings and welcome back to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be talking about praying the psalms. Pastor Will Whedon joins us. He's assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. Formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's host of a daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and author of a forthcoming column for the Issues Etc. journal titled The Monthly Psalter. Will, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. Joy to be with you. We often say that the Psalms can be used as a prayer book. I want you to make the case initially that the Psalms are not just a prayer book. They are, in many ways, the prayer book. Yeah, I think that the, the beyond shadow of doubt, historically speaking, the Psalms were the church's prayer book. Before that, they were the synagogue's prayer book. And above all, we see that they're Jesus's prayer book. I mean, it's not an accident that two of the words that we read in the Gospels from Jesus on his cross, as he is suffering and dying for the sins of the world, what is he doing? He's praying this altar. He's praying from Psalm 22. He's praying from Psalm 31. We hear these words 
on Jesus's own lips. And that kind of offers us the key to why we we think of the Psalms as the very sinner. In fact, think about how the first Psalm begins. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the wicked, right? I mean, this beautiful first Psalm. I'll never forget when it finally dawned on me, wait a minute, blessed is... The- that man is Jesus. <laughs> Blessed is the man who died. This is describing Jesus. And as you go through the Psalms and you begin to see, as Jesus himself said, how how everything written about him in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms is fulfilled, you begin to realize this is Jesus' prayer and it is all about Jesus. And the more you see that, the more you see, well, then how could it not be the center of our prayers? Jesus lives to pray for us. I mean, he constantly is interceding for us. And when when he goes out all night and spends the night in prayer, what do you think he's doing when he's spending the night in prayer? I, I think he's probably praying through the book of Psalms, praying through the Psalms that he himself had long since memorized, maybe taught by his mom when he was a little boy, putting them in his heart and forming the very basis of how he speaks to his heavenly father. It is a beautiful, beautiful gift, the book of Psalms. It's the beating heart of the Bible. How was it used in the Old Testament? And how has the New Testament church taken up the Psalter as the prayer book? Okay, so I think, you know, from what we can tell from the the, the synagogue service, it appeared that it was the, the Psalms were used between the the readings. First, you'd have the reading of of Torah of, of the, from the Law of Moses, and then a Psalm, and then you know the reading of the prophets from the Navi'im, and then another Psalm, and occasionally, of course, I think you had the singing of psalmic portions of the Old Testament. We would call Old Testament canticles, you know, that that are found in other books, but that are very like the Psalms, and. As they sort of pack and surround the service, they form the way that God is is being praised. I'm not sure that we have from the Old Testament the idea that you, you pray through all of the Psalms in a given period of time, but certainly that idea is early found in the time of the New Testament as the church begins to spread and grow. It was even common Todd in the ancient church that that people would know they would have the entire thing memorized. I mean, all 150 psalms held in their hearts and minds, and they could sing them all at any time. It was known that well. How does it get to be known that well? I think we can get a handle on this if we remember. Do you remember Psalm 119, verse 164? It says, Seven times a day do I praise you because of your righteous judgments. And from this, the church just began to to sort of develop a pattern of seven times a day, stopping whatever she was doing and turning to God in prayer, particularly praying the words of the Psalms. So her whole life became, her passage through time became saturated with the singing of the Psalms, the singing of the Psalter. So the seven times a day became what we finally called the canonical office or the daily office. If you think about this, you you had matins with lauds appended before dawn and then prime at six and terse at nine, sext at noon, nones at three, vespers around 6 p.m., compline by nine. If you think about it, it's about every three hours, you sort of stop and turn to God in the words of the Psalter, and you're always praying them in and through and to Christ. It becomes a, a huge gift. But as as this thing develops, the monks especially uh, in the monasteries, 
and the nuns, they were devoted to actually doing this every day. It was even thought of as, as their work, their chief work was the, the, this praying of the Psalter uh, on behalf of the whole church. All this stuff was gathered together before the Reformation in a collection that was known as the Breviary. And the Breviary is like, oh, have you seen a complete Breviary on a, on a I mean, you, probably, you probably might even have one, you know, where, where it's all the volumes. It's like four massive, thick volumes. And the instructions on how to actually pray the thing get to be so complex. It's like, wait a minute. What, how do we remember all this? Well, the Reformation beautifully looked at that and said, you know what? <laughs> the Psalms are the basis of the church's life and of our prayer life, but maybe what we should do is just think in terms of morning and evening, uh, morning prayer and evening prayer, and matins and vespers, if you will. And that became the pattern at the Reformation. And particularly in the Lutheran Reformation, man, they were really into keeping the Psalms. But Luther, because he was such a musician, he wanted to keep the Psalms exactly as he learned to sing them, which was how? In Latin. And so Latin stayed in the Lutheran church for centuries and especially in schools. And so Luther replaced the choirs of monks with the choirs of schoolboys and schoolgirls singing the Latin Psalter together. They continued to sing it and learn it. In Lutheran practice, they didn't have the idea that ah, you need to get through a certain amount of psalms in a given time. They generally thought about morning psalms are roughly, you know, from the first through the 109th, they used those. And then in the, they reserved 110 to the end for, for singing at Vespers, kind of sort of roughly. And generally, you know, one service would have, I mean, when we pray matins or Vespers, what do we usually do? Throw in one psalm, aside from if there is like, like a matins, there's always a set psalm, but we might throw in a second one. But in those days, it was usually always three psalms, basically, that they threw in. So that's how we did the, the, the Psalter for a long time. When we lost Latin, we kind of lost this praying of the Psalter and the, and, and the praying of the daily office. And, and that was, was a, a sad loss for Lutheranism. But if you think about what happened across the water over in England, something kind of interesting transpired. So across the water in, in England, a form of praying the Psalter was devised. It actually had a Spanish predecessor, but the idea was, well, we can get through the Psalms once a month with a pretty easy load if we basically pray three Psalms in the morning and three Psalms in the evening. So six Psalms a day, you'll have the Psalter in your head every day. So the Book of Common Prayer sort of established that and its form of matins and, and evensong or vespers, it, it set this up in such a way that the Anglicans came to expect when you come to church, it's mostly to pray the Psalms, hear the readings and hear preaching and pray. That's, that's mostly what they thought of. They didn't have the Eucharist as the center of their life after the Reformation. That didn't come back to Anglicanism sort of like being the main service until the Oxford movement in the 19th century. So before that time, most Anglicans, when they thought about going to church, they thought about going to pray matins, going to pray evensong, and they developed a really clever way of actually chanting their psalms that honored the patterns of the English language. Curiously, 
Most of the Book of Common Prayer uses the King James Version, but the Psalms were left in an older version done by Miles Coverdale. And uh, that became sort of like very beloved of the Anglican people. They kind of know the Psalms in that that pattern. I mean, there are some really lovely lines that I think about. God has gone up with the Lord with the sound of a merry noise. <laughs> it's just a, a delightful way of translating Psalm 47. But that kind of just introduces the idea that, wait a minute, is there a way that a Christian at home could just be praying the Psalms every month? And personally, Todd, I've done this now for, for many years, and I find it to be just the very best way of digging into the Psalms, that there's morning Psalms and evening Psalms each day, and I try to set time aside for this. How much time do we spend on TV? How much time do we spend on scrolling through our Facebook or our Twitter feeds? You know, we have time to do this. This is not a big deal, um, but it will be a big deal on changing how you think about prayer, how you think about the Word of God, because the Psalms will center you on Jesus, and it's a beautiful gift. So, Will, before we get into a practical way of doing what you just mentioned, and that is praying the Psalter, well, I guess you would end up doing it, what, 12 times a year? Right. If, if roughly, if you're doing it once a month. I want to get to that, but talk about these psalms as prayers that not only we can pray without any reservation whatsoever in every circumstance of life, but they're also prayers that teach us to pray. Yeah, because the Psalms have that wonderful characteristic of not only being words of prayer from humanity to God, but they are also the word of God. So how do little kids learn how to, to talk? They learn how to talk by learning to say what their parents are saying to them. We learn to pray the same way by learning to say back to God what he has said to us. We learn to pray from the word of God itself. And the Psalms, even though they truly are prayers from human beings to God, are all also words of God that we can speak back to him. So just like when we pray the Our Father, we know that everything we're praying in the Our Father is yea and amen. This is God's will that we ask for these things. So when you pray the Psalms, the same thing is true. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're talking about praying the Psalms. He does it, well, 12 times a year through the entire Psalter. We'll find out how he goes about it after this. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventures in Acts with charges against Paul, Paul's defense before Felix, Paul kept in custody, the Jews make their case to Festus, and Paul appeals to Caesar. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for the word of the Lord endures forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Have you ever wondered about some of the more difficult topics or teachings of Scripture, such as what does the Bible say about polygamy or slavery or the free will, or what about law and gospel? The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is a twin to the August 2022 issue, and it takes up some of these difficult teachings of Scripture and explains them in detail. To get your copy, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website witness.lsms.org. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. 
Prayer, Meditation, The Assaults of Satan, You're Listening to Issues Etc. Come join LCMS Worship next summer for the Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music, July 9th through the 12th, 2024, at Concordia University, Nebraska. We'll gather under the theme, The Songs of Deliverance, and focus on the Psalms together. Everything you need to know is at lcms.org slash worship institute, and you can look for registration information in the early part of 2024. That's lcms.org slash worship institute, God's mission right where you are. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're talking about praying the Psalms. So, Will, you do this. You pray through the Psalter every month, so that makes 12 times a year. How do you go about doing it yourself? The Anglican pattern that's in the Book of Common Prayer, you can also find listed in the Treasury of Daily Prayer. It's on page 1140 and 1141. And uh, it's a very common division of the Psalter. You can find it many places. This is not the monthly Psalter that was listed in the Lutheran hymnal. That was a different ordering. And I don't think the one in the Lutheran hymnal is actually doesn't make as much sense to me as the one that is in the Book of Common Prayer. So what I've done for this, Todd, and it just makes it so utterly simple, I took my Bible. I I tend to pray them out of the King James. I did. I I prayed them out of the ESV, and my ESV is also similarly marked. But I just put at the top of each day the number. So like at Psalm 1, it would be like number 1, M, 1 for the morning. And then... When I get to uh, at the end, I, I, in Psalm, the first day, it's Psalm 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. So in the evening, it's Psalm 6. So when I get to 6, I just have a little dot. And then after the Psalm you know, 6, 7, and 8, then uh, Psalm 9 will start out the next day. And that would say like 2 in, you know, the 2 in the morning. I wrote that into my Bible so that when I pull out my Bible, I have the Psalms right there ready to pray for the day. And it makes it so very, very simple. And then you really do get the sense and feeling that you're praying from the word of God itself. You know, you're not forgetting. This is all God's word to us. And you can take those up and pray them. And the more you pray them, the more you learn to hear them in and through Christ. I mean, like, how on earth are you able to pray that God would judge you in his righteousness? I mean, you hear things like that and you're like, wait a minute, why would I pray that? You realize, ah, there's only one way you can pray that, to pray it in and through Jesus. He is the one who is righteous and he is the one who is wholly righteous. And we ask that God give that righteousness to us. Similarly, even when you're praying the, the, the prayers of confession, yeah, you think, well, boy, I'm, I can't imagine Jesus praying that. But don't forget, 
on his cross. He became sin for us. He owns our sins as his own. And so those very penitential psalms that some people think, well, that surely can't be right on the lips of Christ. Of course they are. He became sin for us. He becomes the sinner under the judgment of his father. It's a beautiful thing. So you say that this also really opens up the Old Testament for us. They become, in addition to prayers, like commentaries or a way of understanding the Old Testament narrative. Yeah, because the Old Testament's pretty big. So as you're reading through it, it's easy to begin to forget. How does that tie? Who was who was Og? And what about this uh, Zalmunna? What's going on with these guys? You forget about them unless you're using the Psalter regularly. And then it's like, oh, yeah. It pulls the whole of the Old Testament um, narrative together and does so in a beautiful way, particularly in those historic psalms. You think about uh, Psalm 105, 106. It goes through and, and, and recounts them. The battles of God's people against their enemies, Oreb and Zeb, it, it, it shows up. And, and as you remember that, you remember, okay, the Lord always gives his victory to his people through his servants whom he sends to rescue them. And they are all little pictures of the one servant that he finally sent who grants us victory over all our enemies. Israel's history becomes familiar to you by a monthly praying of the Psalter. Talk about the different kinds of Psalms. They're not all the same thing. They can be categorized as different kinds of prayers. Right. I mean, there's certainly, as I just mentioned, historical psalms, right, that basically recite the great deeds that God has done for Israel. That becomes really important. You need to remember the great things God has done for his people. That's how they're able to face the hardships that they continue to face them. But then there are also these beautiful psalms of comfort. I mean, is there anybody out there who doesn't know Psalm 23? Or or, or what about Psalm 34, you know, it's just a beautiful psalm. My own, my mom's favorite was Psalm 116. This is a psalm probably for the Toda sacrifice, for the um, a sacrifice of thanksgiving that's offered, and probably the psalm that Jesus prayed with his apostles. Remember when it said they went out after they had sung an hymn? It's probably one of these Hallel psalms, these uh, psalms of, uh, of praise and thanksgiving to God, but that's a comforting psalm too, that God rescues me from my enemies. There's a, a whole pile of psalms that are just about explosions of praise. I love the, well, there, there's a whole series at the end of the Psalter from 145 to 150. How you divide up the psalms is also not really clear that the Latin had those particular psalms divided up slightly differently so that 147 was divided in half. So there's two psalms there. That's why if you've ever been confused when you see references to the psalms where it, it's one off, it doesn't match up, it's because in the Vulgate earlier a psalm had been split and at that point that psalm is split. So that's where you get the, the different numbers. But these psalms of praise offer thanks and praise to God for all of the great things that he's done in creation and in his deeds of salvation for his people, Israel. And you can't help but see them in the light of what God has done above all for us in Jesus Christ. That's where you get these psalms of praise that call on the nations to join in the praise of God, right? Psalm 96, Psalm 98, Psalm 100, they teach 
all the nations to join in the glorification of God. They summon them to do that. It's a beautiful thing. You also have the imprecatory Psalms, which are probably the ones that we're most uncomfortable with, where you pray God's curse upon the enemies of his people. And one way to sort of think about them is to think that we're praying against our arch enemy when we pray these, the devil and the demon hordes and the hard-hearted and persistent unbelief of those who constantly persecute God's people. I think the more you pray them, the more you come to actually realize we we can and, and must pray these too. Some of my favorites are the Psalms that sing about Zion and, and what a beloved place that is for God's people. Um, they teach us to treasure the church. They teach us to look forward to heaven. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her, and that at break of day. Psalm 46, just beautiful. And then there are also those particularly powerful psalms that are prophecies about Christ himself. I think of Psalm 2. Um, you think of Psalm, you know, the Lord said to my Lord, said at my right hand in Psalm 110. You think about Psalm 22, where they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They divide my garments among them. Similarly with Psalm 69. So I really think the best way to sort of get all of that is to recognize that the longer you pray the Psalms, the more you realize you're praying alongside of Jesus who never stops praying. He takes you along with him in his prayers. Like I said, he's praying all night. What do you think he's doing? I mean, would you run out of things that you need to ask the Heavenly Father for if you were praying over and over and over again? What's he asking? I suspect he was probably in the night praying the beautiful words of the psalm. You say that asking the question, which is natural, but asking the question, how does this speak to me or how does this apply to me, really misses the point. What do you mean? Yeah, I remember getting into a, a, a disagreement about this once with a friend on the radio. A good friend, but you know, he said, "Surely that's the most important question to ask, right?" You know, I was like, "No, this is—you cannot have a more irrelevant question to ask. The first question ought always to be when you're dealing with the Scripture: What does this say to you of Jesus? What does it give you of your Savior? Because the Scriptures aren't given to give you insight into you; they're given to give you insight into Jesus." And the psalm's inner light then glows brightly when you ask that question. You know, what does this say of Jesus? And it will fill you both with, with joy and amazement. So like, you know, I mentioned this before, but think about it. How could Jesus pray Psalm 51? How could he say, in sin did my mother conceive me? You know, we all know that's not true of Jesus. But I think even that, can be lifted into Christ when you remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.12. He made him who was without sin to be sin for us. The whole point is that Jesus praised these Psalms because he's determined to stand with us under God's righteous wrath to prevent that wrath from ever wiping us out. He owns our sins as his own. 
He invites us then to shelter beneath his cross so that his righteousness can be covering over us. Similarly, when you read in the Psalms the claim of personal innocence or righteousness, Psalm 18 is a classic instance, right? Therefore has the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. You know, that prayer is only going to be possible in Jesus because of his flawless obedience to the law. His father joyfully credits that to you and and to me. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. Pastor Will Whedon is leading us in a teaching on praying the Psalms. Here's an excerpt from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Meaningful Outreach. The biggest misconception among church people about outreach is the idea that we should change or need to change our worship style to attract non-church people to our congregation. Unlike church people, non-church people, especially unchurched people, don't have a preference about worship style. In my experience, non-church people expect worship services to be something different than their experiences in everyday life. A little bit of wisdom there from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for July, Meaningful Outreach and Essential Guide for Churches. You'll find this book at our website, issuesetc.org. You can order it from Concordia Publishing House by giving them a call, 1-800-325-3040. Ask for the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for July, Meaningful Outreach, 1-800-325-3040. When we come back, we'll talk about some bright spots in the Psalms. They're all the Word of God, but some Psalms have kind of risen to the top. Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today, is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October. It's written by Lutheran layman Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University. Martin Luther on Mental Health is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Martin Luther on Mental Health. Join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 18th through Saturday, January 20th for the 2024 Why for Life Free Conference. Registration is open through December 15th. Learn more at why4life.org. Great events, speakers, and social time. The 2024 Why for Life Free Conference, January 18th through the 20th in Washington, D.C., Y4life.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Are you looking for an investment that aligns with your Lutheran values? Look no further than Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Hi, my name is Rahima Kavuga, Director of Synod Relations at LCEF, and we're proud to be an entity of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which means our focus is clear. When you invest with LCEF, 
You're helping LCMS supported ministries and dedicated church workers. Learn more at lcef.org. Grace, faith, scripture, and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christ Lutheran, Normal, Illinois. First Bethlehem Lutheran, Chicago, Illinois. Hope Lutheran, Sonora, Texas. Lutheran Church of the Ascension, Atlanta, Georgia. Our Redeemer Lutheran, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Redeemer Lutheran, East Inglewood, Florida. St. John Lutheran, Champaign, Illinois. St. Paul Lutheran, Emmitsburg, Iowa. Trinity Lutheran, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And Zion Lutheran, Dexter, Iowa. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're listening to Issues Etc., We're talking about praying the Psalms with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. So let's discuss some bright spots. The Psalms are all God's Word, obviously. But some of these Psalms have proven themselves useful in a lot of regular situations that Christians find themselves. They've kind of risen to the top, like Psalm 23. Yeah. You know, we we think of the Catechism as as the first three parts as the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. A lot of the early Christians actually didn't use the Ten Commandments as part of that. They just used Psalm 23, <laughs> which, if you think about it, is an exercise on the first commandment. And if you've kept the first commandment, you've got them all, right? So this, this, the use of, of a psalm like that, it just needs to become so much a piece of you that you shouldn't have to even try to remember it. It should just be there inside of you from our constant use. I mean— I'm not trying to lay that as a guilt trip on people that don't have it memorized. I'm trying to say, if you memorize it, you will find that you use it all the time. There will never be a time that you uh, you, you don't sing it. That particular psalm, by the way, most people actually, if they have it memorized, have it memorized from the King James, right? It just makes it easier to recall. Uh, beautiful psalm, beautiful indeed. Beyond Psalm 23, I think... Let me go to Psalm 34, because I think that's also one of the ones that just, it, it needs to, to fill our lives. Listen to these words. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, it just goes on and on. But you get this beautiful song of faith. I mean, do you hear that, Todd? This is faith talking. This is what faith sounds like when it speaks to God. And it has this idea that my mouth is going to 
actually be filled constantly with the praise of God. We have all kinds of things that tend to fill our mouths sinfully. Here, if our mouths are constantly being filled with praise to God, we know then that we're not going astray in what we say. Pick up the Psalter and use it, and you'll find that you always have something to say, and it's always what God would give you to say. What's another, I'll just call it bright spot in the Psalter that you would direct our listeners to by way of prayer, special attention? Well, okay. I hope we have time for a couple because, I mean, uh, one, one of the ones that I think absolutely is, is glorious is Psalm 46. I already quoted from that earlier. But this is the Reformation Psalm, if you will. Luther paraphrases this in A Mighty Fortress. But, I mean, listen, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Notice this not fear thing that runs through the Psalms. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at its swelling. I mean, do, do you, I'm doing Revelation right now. So I mean, this is the picture from Revelation, right? As of the world is falling down around you and you as the Christian, you're not fearing. Why? Because there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God's in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So the nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. No problem for us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. That's what's going to happen at the end. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. All those assembled against him in that great battle of Armageddon. There they are. And uh, he just speaks the word and it's over. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. <laughs> I, I can't even hear that and not think about how the entire message of Revelation is, chill out. I am on the throne. I am the one who is in control, and you are my beloved people, and I'm going to bring you out of the ruins of this age into the age that is to come. And throughout Revelation, we just keep having these uh, moments where we go back to glimpses of the church's inner life, you know, standing beside the sea at peace and seeing the church is singing while everything is falling to rack and ruin all around her. And that peace that she sings, that's the peace that you hear ringing through a psalm like Psalm 46. Another thing that I think has really helped, oh boy, I just keep, I, I keep running into ones to, to comment on. I, I, I think some of the most beautiful words you find in, in the Psalter at the end of Psalm 73, which is a psalm of theodicy. This is a great psalm. When you're looking at, God, why are you doing things this way in the world? It doesn't look like you're taking care of anything. It looks like things really are falling apart and that the wicked are prospering and your people are being crushed to death. And then in you know, the middle of Psalm 73, the, the psalmist cries out, you know, if I talk like that, I would have betrayed this generation of your children. And I thought, man, this is really hard to understand until I went to the sanctuary of God and then I saw their latter end. And then his whole attitude changes. He said, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me. You will take me up into glory. So whom do I have in heaven but you? 
and there is nothing that I desire on earth besides you. My flesh and my heart, they will fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forevermore. I mean, there it is, just beautifully, beautifully expressed. I also want to add in Psalm 95, which the church prays in matins. It's one of the invariable psalms that we do as, we, as when we come together. And imagine singing these words on Christmas morning, right? You're praying the Psalter and you sing, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Think of the little baby. That's who he is. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. A little baby's hand. In his hand. That's where they are. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he formed it. And his hand formed the dry land. Because the sea is his, he can say to it, Hey, peace, be still. And immediately it listens and obeys. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I mean, you can see singing that on Christmas Day, what a joyous thing that would be. Beautiful. Talk about the relationship, and this is especially true of this altar and of the Lord's Prayer, but the relationship between God's Word and prayer, I think it's John Pless who has observed maybe not the first one to observe it, but the one that comes to mind that Christian prayer does not begin with our need, but it begins in God's word. It's quite counterintuitive. Pagan prayer begins with our need, but Christian prayer begins in God's word. What does he mean by that? Well, I think he's sort of reflecting on uh, Bonhoeffer's little book on the Psalms where he basically makes the same kind of an argument where... I know, I know Professor Press really loves that book on the Psalms. Bonhoeffer says that, you know, we must learn to speak to God out of the richness of his word and not out of the poverty of our own hearts. That's absolutely the truth. Our speaking to God, like everything about our salvation, doesn't begin with us and him responding. It begins with him speaking to us. How would you even know to speak to him if he didn't speak to you? So he speaks to us in his word, and from his word, we learn to speak back to him. That carries our prayers up into the word of God, and you realize then the Bible is more than just a bunch of information to stuff into your head. The Bible is where you encounter God speaking to you precisely so that you as his child can learn how to speak back to him. And nowhere does that come into play more than in the heart of the the Psalter itself. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. We're talking about praying the Psalms. We'll discuss how praying the Psalms shapes our own prayers after this. You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. Issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world. 
specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Old theology, new technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. Are you living in central Iowa and longing for a church where the gospel is boldly confessed in all of its purity? Are you tired of hearing the latest purpose-driven how to live your best life now TED Talk? Are you desperate to hear the preaching of the cross which brings you and your children the knowledge, peace, and comfort of the gospel? Then come to Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Located in Carlisle, Iowa at the southeast corner of Des Moines, we're a short ride from everywhere in the city. Visit our website, holycrosscarlisle.org. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about praying the Psalms with Pastor Will Whedon, host of the daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Pastor Whedon is leading a study this week on Revelation 12, 13, and 14. You can hear his teachings on the woman and the dragon, the first and second beast, and the lamb and the 144,000. Listen at thewordendures.org, the LPR mobile app, and your favorite podcast provider. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. Well, how has this practice of monthly praying the Psalms shaped your own prayers? Yeah, its language becomes your language without you even trying to make it be that way. It's just that those are the words that come flowing naturally out because they are the words that God has stuffed into you. And and I think with that beautiful practice of letting the Psalms just sort of live in our hearts, ideally they should be at least spoken aloud, ideally sung, but the way that my wife and I do this, we we pray treasury together in the morning. And when we're through treasury, we each turn and do our own private prayers, but then we're in the same room. I pray matins and I pray through the Psalms. She prays the monthly Psalter too. She does the same thing, but we don't speak them out loud because we don't want to disturb the other person. But I really love the idea that the words are not just in your head, but you're literally forming them on your lips and hearing them in your ears so that they sink in even better, even deeper. Just like poetry that you hear tends to sink in better than poetry that you just read. So it is, I think, with the Psalter. It's actually great to practice speaking it aloud. And these, uh, it becomes the warp and woof of your daily prayer life, the, the prayers that come from God's Word. We've talked here about kind of the individual use of the Psalms, but also talk about praying the Psalms together. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned these services, but they are, and this is how the churches historically use them, they are corporate prayers as well. Right, particularly the corporate prayers of Matins and Vespers. So the church just tried to make uh, a time every day where the people of God, whoever could, 
could come together and join in the prayers. And that primarily meant the, the, the chanting of the Psalms. So to honor that, you, you had some sort of Psalms that become standard so that everybody knows them. Like in our church, you probably did not need to, oh, well, I've, I've observed this. Have you? Do you remember observing this in, in the Lutheran hymnal, Todd, when you did matins? And the Venita has that really weird, awkward page turn. You have to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth oh, with yeah. the psalm. I swear, I've seen them with their eyes closed, turning the page at the right spot. You know, The psalm is already inside of them because it's sung, because they know the tone and the melody. They can sing it from the heart without ever thinking about needing to look at the book. But they still honor the book by turning the pages back and forth. Kind of a, a crazy example, but it shows what happens when the psalms are actually internalized. So in Matins and in Vespers, there were sort of like set psalms that you did work on internalizing, more in Matins than in Vespers. I mentioned Psalm 95, the Venite is the psalm for Matins. Curiously, that in American practice, American Lutheran practice, that psalm is apocopated and you know its ending is cut off. But in standard practice in Lutheran Germany, that was sung all the way through. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. I mean, I think those are, today, if you will hear his voice, is an important thing to actually keep in your uh, heart and mind. Since you mentioned the Venite, that's an adaptation of, of a psalm, there also have grown, I think, grown out of the use of psalms. Other great canticles and hymns that are not biblical, but boy, howdy, if there was ever a candidate for adding them to the Bible that might be one of them, like the Te Deum. Te Deum, Gloria in Excelsis, right? All these things that are clearly inspired by the psalmic way of praying. and being, You know, you ask, do they shape your prayers? Well, here, here's the answer from the early church. Its prayers were very much shaped by the psalms, and we still sing those psalmic pieces to this day. When we recently gathered at the Issues Etc. Making the Case conference, we did, because of that first day, Mm-hmm. was the, also the overturning of Roe v. Wade, an historic event that simply could not be ignored given the context of that many Christians gathered together. I believe you did call upon us at the beginning of, was it Compline? Mm-hmm. To actually break with form of the the evening prayer and first sing that Te Deum. Why was that so important to do? Well, you know, it's actually something that Pastor Ball suggested that I, I think is absolutely right on. When the church has ever experienced from God a great blessing, like at the end of a war, when, when, when she enters into a time of peace, when something wonderful and blessed from God happens, her response has historically been, for Western Christians, to stand before him and to sing Te Deum Laudamus, We Praise Thee, O God. I had told Pastor Ball, I think, you know, we should sing the Lutheran Te Deum, which is now thank we all our God, <laughs> uh, a shorter version. But I was like, he was like, nah, I think we really should do the whole thing. I was like, that's beautiful. We'll, we'll do it. And it really does help the people of God to realize when somebody gives you a gift, like your mommy always told you, you need to say thank you. And so when we see a great gift and blessing come to us God's way, like the overturning of Roe v. Wade was for our country, we can sit there and say, thanks be to God. And we can sing that thanks. And the words of this very much uh, psalmic kind of an ancient hymn. So there's another place where the apostle encourages us to engage in the mutual consolation, as he says, by singing psalms, hymns, 
and spiritual songs. That's another aspect of this that mm-hmm. is, while it is prayer, it is also proclamation. It is proclamation because it's God's word. It functions both ways, right? And we can do this particularly in those divine offices like matins and vespers. When we come together, it, it works really well if you do them at least responsively, even better antiphonally. What I mean by that is the Psalter is set up where something is said that evokes something that's said, the same thought is expressed in slightly different words and imagery, one after the other, right? Because the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He lead, I mean, you feel the back and forth nature of it. So if you're doing it responsibly, the, the, the pastor or the cantor will actually say the one verse of the psalm and all the people will respond together, usually in the same tone, back to the cantor. But the best to me is when the whole people are doing it together so that instead of everybody just saying the whole psalm, one side of the room says the one verse. I mean, so let me give you an example. If, 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 if you're doing Psalm 121, um, one side of the room would be singing, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? The other side of the room is not singing. They're listening to that. They're receiving that gift from the other side. Then they take up and they say, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The other side then has been silent and listening to the second side sing that. And you just do this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth singing, antiphonal singing of the Psalms. And it enables exactly what Paul described there in Colossians 3, it's the letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So finally, with about a minute here, give us this encouragement that not just to use the psalms as in the many rich ways that the historic church has given us to use them, but also to take them up in personal prayer. Yeah, my encouragement to everybody is try it for a couple months. Just see what, what it's like to do it. If you begin praying the monthly Psalter and you have morning Psalms and evening Psalms every day, I promise you, get it into your routine. You're going to be like, well, I can't go to bed yet. I haven't prayed my Psalms. <laughs> you know, and you're, you're going to want to do it because it's actually such a blessing to the Christian. You realize in that moment how you really are not alone. You, in your prayer, not only are you joining with Christ, but you're joining with the Christians across all these centuries and the Jews before who had made these prayers the very center of their relationship with God. It becomes pure refreshment for you. I know it sounds like you're being given something to do. It's actually like, would you just put yourself in a position to receive the gift God wants to give you in this altar every single day? It's a beautiful practice. Someone says, I'm, I've am i listened, Pastor. I'm excited. I'm motivated. Where do I start? Yeah, You start by finding the day of the month you're in, looking up the table of Psalms from, you, know, you can just look up Book of Common Prayer or Psalm table if you don't have treasury. If you have treasury, like I said, just look it up in there and you can find the monthly Psalter. And you just find out what day you're on and start picking it up there. Also, don't forget, it becomes so much easier if you mark your Bibles. So take your time to actually go through and mark the Psalms. That makes it so it's like falling off a log easy. Great stuff. Pastor Will Whedon is pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He hosts a daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. And he's author of a forthcoming column for the Issues Etc. journal titled, 
the monthly Psalter. You can subscribe absolutely free to the Online Issues Etc. Journal by going to our website, issuesetc.org. You'll find a red subscription button. Click on that and enter your email address, and we will send you the Issues Etc. Journal for free. Will, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Dr. Jordan Cooper about the loss of transcendence and the decline of the West and its media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. And on Friday, we'll discuss pro-abortion scare tactics with Denise Harley. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. What makes Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church in Freeburg, Illinois so special? Our new members talk about the family atmosphere, the welcoming people, and the outstanding music. But most importantly, you'll be confronted with your sin and comforted with the assurance that Jesus has removed that sin so that you can live each day as his baptized and forgiven child. Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church is at 612 North State Street in Freeburg, Illinois. Sunday worship is at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible classes at 1020 a.m. Call 618-539-5664. The Lord has sanctified us in the true faith. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org.